Welcome, everyone, to the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Only the most broken people can be great leaders. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Black Panther Wakanda Forever is sponsored by Spears. Precise, elegant, deadly. That won't change on a Koye's watch. Pete, as we start our discussion here for this landmark sequel, uh, we will start on this Monday evening looking at the box office of it. Uh, it has done $181 million in the United States. That's down about $20 million from the uh, predecessor. Uh, and it's gotten another $150 million worldwide for a very healthy, very impressive kind of post-COVID era, $331 million. The expectation is it's going to be number one at the box office for at least the next month. So while there's perhaps less uh, drive and momentum than the first film, perhaps for a variety of reasons, some of which we might get into in the podcast, uh, this is nonetheless objectively an extremely strong start for a film in 2022. Second highest opening weekend of the year, that behind Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, makes sense. That was a, uh, you know, summer kickoff really kind of signaling um you know theaters full open again uh post omicron wave um you know i i think as we digest this in toto in the course of this offering here you know the mountain of obstacles that stood in this film's way and for them to has have as successful an opening weekend as they did, I think, um, you know, they've earned. I think there was no question that Spider-Man No Way Home that closed out last year and uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness this year were escapist movies with, you know, monsters and things of that sort that didn't necessarily tie you to the real world. And of course, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, uh, tied to the the real world tragedy that happened in between this and the last film. Uh, of course, I refer to the passing of Chadwick Boseman. So I think the average audience member knew that they weren't necessarily diving into a super fun, feel-good movie for the entire run of it and that it needed to be its own thing. Uh, perhaps that had a mild impact in the box office. Um, but, but here we are, Pete, you know, again, nonetheless, a, a stellar 2022 opening Pete, before we dive on in fully, uh, some other, uh, Hollywood news, particularly with things that we podcast, uh, of course, the, uh, penultimate season one episode for Andor will be, uh, hitting Disney plus in just a couple days and we'll be podcasting it this Saturday. Yes, Star Wars Saturdays here. Just two more to go on that. We learned today that the first two episodes of Andor are going to be broadcast over the air as well. So if you don't have Disney Plus, if you haven't checked that out, uh, November 23rd, uh, they'll do that on ABC, the 24th on FX, and then the 25th 
on freeform and hulu is going to have them available from november 23rd until uh december 7th so uh hoping to bring some more people to the andor tent we've had a blast podcasting that and again moving towards the big finish here with the 11th and 12th episodes as they ramp up production here on season two uh, and of course also coming to disney plus pete i can't believe it it's the friday after this one uh mm-hmm. the friday after thanksgiving will be the guardians of the galaxy holiday special and of course we're looking forward to podcasting that here on the marvel movie podcast feed uh in two weeks time on monday november 28th looking forward to a super fun outing you know we we had the emotional journey of black panther and and that'll be the 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 good heartfelt laugh and and chuckle we all need after this you know heavy but necessary meal we catch you up on what went down matt this cold open and director ryan coogler's use of silence both at the beginning here we hear uh shuri leticia wright's character uh invoke pray to the panther goddess bast to save her brother And, and the moments of silence both at the very beginning here particularly at the end to let the movie the moment breathe and punctuated not only in this you know again tragically necessary uh open here to establish the off-screen but touchingly so close around the corner death of t'challa um to conclude that with the the silent uh chadwick boseman marvel studios logo something that had been uh removed from the disney plus version of the film in the last month or so it was it was a stunning thing to experience in a theater uh the theater that you and i saw the film in on uh saturday was about half full and that's not a slam uh the slightly longer runtime necessitated more show times and therefore perhaps less you know less people per theater etc etc that's a a financial thing but the reality was there was enough people in the theater that you could you could hear people if they were making any sort of uh noise of affirmation of of whatever it might be throughout the film and the collective feeling of people holding their breath during that cold open, perhaps holding back tears, perhaps just emotionally stunned at what was happening to all of us at the same time and what was happening in, in the story, the fake story and the real world story and all of that converging there in the logo and, and in some of the final scenes of Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther, just a, almost a, a moment that defies words other than to say there we were collect uh, holding our own breaths uh, uh, as the moment had silence to breathe i was very much interested um having seen it on the press junket you know um individually how it would play seeing it this was the first audience i saw it with and and what kind of reaction and just jumping into the middle of that crisis that Shuri is facing 
it's amazing that it's it's a little more than two years now that we you know experienced the untimely death of Chadwick Boseman at at 43 and I can't get over how raw it felt for me to see this um I remember being shocked at the news I think I reached out to you when I saw it um and you know very much mirrored um in the the article that you know we'll we'll talk about um throughout our discussion here the you know really really comprehensive variety article i just want to make sure that i get the author and, and credit that and and we can put that in our um show notes here in case people want to check that out very well written by angelique jackson and adam b very um you know a couple of things i had seen intimated particularly that ryan coogler learned how to swim um to make this film um but the the level to which and and they don't shy away it's 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 very comprehensive um i don't want to let it dominate too much i mean we're, we're going to talk in course some of the details to come out of that and particularly some of the things that not said or never answered um but again i i think the importance here the the just journey that this film and the filmmakers and the performers had to undergo to go through this as you know a process of grief of mourning and this film is the product of that that was my biggest takeaway leaving the theater like sometimes for these marvel for these silly marvel movies sometimes i walk out of there saying yeah i feel really jazzed and excited and other times i walk out of there saying eh you know it really wasn't that great but it's always kind of on some sort of fun meter the exception being infinity war where there was like the fake ending of it being so terrible that everybody got killed wink wink see you next year for the real ending that which is the next movie um but to walk out of this movie feeling the grief of the film and the grief of the real world uh intertwined throughout the entire story and certainly at the end as well it was just a different kind of feeling to say this is a this is such a great film because i don't feel amazing coming out of it yeah and obviously chadwick boseman's presence permeates this i had been rolling around you know prior to the the press stuff cranking up and you know paying attention to what kind of rumors are out there and everything like that just how exactly they go about this in terms of addressing his death and super unenviable task you know and we've we've talked on the podcast and I'll, I'll bring it up now you know after chadwick boseman's death ryan coogler had you know lamented you know first and foremost the loss of his friend and professional partner and he was unaware of the struggle against colon cancer that predated 
his casting as the character back to 2016. Um, so the idea here that he had written all these words that his friend was never going to say. And, you know, that when I read that back when he passed away and Cooler was at first talking about that just tore me up. Um, but I, I think they chose the right place to start to, to give you this engrossing, you know, problem for Shuri to face. And when you consider that now that we have closed phase four out, Matt, that started with WandaVision, okay, deeply about loss and grief, okay, um, we end phase four here, um, and keeping in mind, too, that, you know, while there are people that didn't care for Thor, Love and Thunder, a, another film, the last film they did, also quite a bit about loss. Um, you know, there there's this silly refrain that, oh, you know, phase four is when uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe fell off for me. Um, I'm going to argue that, uh, maybe you just like explosions and don't understand character cost and stakes and, uh, emotionally resonant stories. When there's the loss of a character that impacts us, that's a, that's a credit to the strength of the character and the fact that the character of T'Challa uh, who is through and through this movie, although, of course, so greatly unseen. That's also a credit to Chadwick Boseman, uh, whose charisma is inseparable from that of T'Challa. Um, and again, I think for anyone, for anyone who's down on this movie, you just need to kind of reflect as to why it's, why it's a movie that brings you down, because it, it really is talking about loss and grief for the characters and loss and grief that permeates out from there that radiates out from there to the audience for for reasons that are bigger than you know there was a black panther movie that made a lot of money and uh that got some oscars and so forth and the people seem to like all the all the aspiration perhaps not all much so much of the aspiration that the first film captured and had swirling around it, you know, that aspiration is not gone and those noble ideals and those noble models are not gone, but this movie is exploring the loss of, of the singular individual in the MCU and the singular individual that was Chadwick Boseman. I think of how they begin this film and we, as the audience know, she's not going to save him. That's the whole point of that scene. No one's going to this film except somebody super young who doesn't know that Chadwick Boseman has passed away and is going to learn that way. Like, oh, what? Oh, he's not in it because he died. Um, we know the whole time how it's going to happen. Um, I, I think they, they struck a really delicate tonal balance from where to begin it with this, you know, fruitless attempt 
you know, and to echo it later in the movie when Shuri is attempting again to reproduce the heart-shaped herb. Um, and that, you know, the, the film again, delicately stressing, you know, they lost T'Challa twice. They lost him in Thanos's snap. They were lucky enough to get him back. This undisclosed illness as Anderson Cooper tells us on TV. And, you know, that's as far as it should go. I've seen people suggest it was COVID, which, I mean, do we need to do that in our fiction? Okay. The point of the matter is he got sick. His sister believes, you know, through the technology that she had at her fingertips, that she had a shot. Had she had the real heart shape herb, he may have never, ever gotten sick that she may have saved him. You know, in addition to loss and grief, this film is so much about survivor's guilt. And I really, really felt that in this variety piece, almost to a person, as if the people interviewed were like, why him, why not me instead? I know too, there's been discussion well, they should have recast the role. It can be, you know, it's been done in other properties and so forth. Mm -hmm. I disagree with that. Completely. Uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful that they didn't. And that's another thing that really in the echo chamber of the internet has really begun again to uh, be bandied about. And well, you did it for this person and you did it for this person. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I'll, I'll repeat uh, the King's line uh, himself, albeit not from one of his films, but from uh, Avengers Infinity War. We don't do that here. I would, I would add to that discussion. I, I've seen it said that uh, it, it was... So it has been said it, it, it was important to recast T'Challa to continue to have a strong black male figure on screen. I don't think I can appropriately speak to that as a need for this film versus other films. Obviously, the need for all sorts of representation uh, is important. I know that this film does not shy away from having scenes uh, many scenes, many, many scenes entirely composed of powerful black women speaking mm -hmm. to each other. I was struck by the credits, you know, in watching the credits, I believe it's the first five uh, credited um, names are black women. Then you get Winston Duke, uh, you, you know, who is magnificent in his own right. I'm not trying to take away anything from right. him at all, but I believe the I believe something like, you know, uh, six of the first seven credits or something like that uh, are black women, which is, to me, just as astonishing as a, a feat as as could be done. Um, and again, I'm not saying, you know, therefore that was the right story choice. If you feel there should have been T'Challa recast in this, you know, so be it. That's That's your opinion. But the movie, I have no doubt that the movie that we got was perhaps one of the most um, freed MCU movies, freed of 
well, but we're concerned about the this market and we're concerned about the that market. And let's let's go over to marketing to have a chart and things of that sort. I, I suspect that Ryan Coogler and Kevin Feige and Nate Moore, uh, Nate Moore, one of the, uh, you know, co one of the executive producers on this, along with Kevin Feige, I would suspect that this was a very closed production mm-hmm. in terms of uh, input like that. Obviously, it was a $200 million movie, and you have all sorts of hands on it in terms of creating the this, the that, the other. Um, but I suspect that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, screenplay writers Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole wrote the story they wanted. Yes, that Variety article gets into how it was a story that was in flux from the pre-production of the post-Bozeman vision of the film uh, all the way through shooting and, and so forth, which is the case for all Marvel movies. Uh, and I think as we as we make our way through the film, we'll talk about perhaps some evidence of um, perhaps what the film might have been at one earlier, again, post-Chadwick Boseman point. Um, I'm thinking particularly of the Richard Schiff character who, you know, he's he's... The United States guy in two scenes. Um, I, I suspect that maybe when they started filming that movie, that was a bigger role. Um, but I will take I will take this movie and this cast and this story to deal with this issue, the loss of T'Challa. I'll, I'll take it as as unparalleled. You talk about the the cast, and you know, I think it's another gift of grace posthumous here from beyond the grave of Chadwick Boseman you know he was the one who united them and and led them in that first film and all the great feelings and the culture and everything to come out of that and you know this so deeply heartfelt I I can't compare the two of them And I keep having this conflicting thought of, well, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. At the same time, I'm a big believer that things happen for a reason. Um, And when you look at the character of Shuri, who does become the Black Panther in the comics. So take your idea of recasting T'Challa and and stop. Um, And also understand that this happens eventually with Shuri. And then the way that Letitia Wright is thrust to the forefront here, I can't imagine the pressure. I understood they were close, but that variety article and, you know, how it takes you through, I mean, she calls him bro um, even after his death. And just learning about his passing and being unable, obviously, in August of 2020 to attend his funeral. Um, You know, I'm having a little bit of difficulty separating Letitia Wright and and Shuri. Uh, Shuri as a character, I, I just think is, you know, special and you know I, I think this film further cements that particularly in its latest moments um you know i didn't know Letitia wright was as injured 
as had previously been let on. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't, you know, th this film was in trouble. We talked about it when we did our Thor love and thunder podcast, when the last time you didn't have a trailer for the next Marvel movie run in front of the previous one, uh, and, and had to have been more than a decade and that there was still some concern, is this movie gonna make its date? And that it even made its date, again, at Minor Miracle. Um, and, and to do it as successfully, and I think critically so, that it had. Um, but in addition to the, the injury, which had been downplayed at the time, and I completely understand why they didn't talk about her concussion, and you know, I think there was a shoulder injury and, you know, pretty banged up from the, the sequence in, in Boston, you know, there was also the, the, you know, let's, let's deal in fact, there was a statement that was made via Instagram that was uh, anti-vaccination that was ultimately removed. Um, there was later a, a follow-up, but there were persistent rumors during this production about, you know, um, whether or not Letitia Wright was vaccinated, whether or not she was going to get vaccinated, whether it was even a policy on the film. The Variety piece is dogged in its fairness of the questions and the pursuit of that and, you know, leaves no stone unturned. Um, so I would check it out only because of the comprehensive way that it, it really examines the wholeness of the the difficulty faced with the production of this film. Ultimately, this whole first per portion of the story uh, then transitions to one year later. Um, I'll mention Pete just if if for no other reason than to inject the the slightest bit of levity here. Um, I've honestly lost track where in the MCU timeline that then puts this with, because let's not forget <laughs> well, the first. I think his, his death is, and I, I can imagine at some point they'll, they'll go and pinpoint it, but obviously they return in 2023, right? Everybody comes back from the snap, the blip, and then, you know, okay, is it 2024? I don't, I don't think they've jumped further past that i don't think we're in 25 by the the time now we're talking about that or maybe i'm completely wrong and we are <laughs> if nothing else it was just a reminder that the first film the first film chronologically took place right after or at least started right after uh civil war and so forth but that's that's the least of our concerns here again just if nothing else a uh an attempt to uh to shift emotional gears if only for a little bit there is a a scene i don't remember when somebody says six years ago maybe it was uh nakia um when she was sent on the outreach program and you know black panther happens in 2018 so maybe it is 24 okay i think certainly certainly in that neighborhood um and regardless, in this early portion of the the one year later uh, era of the story, uh, we see Angela Bassett just in in amazing form here, uh, showing herself as now the queen of Wakanda, um, 
interacting more with the world that's around her and um again that variety article i know i know we're both trying to not turn this into a a complete rehash of the article it's wonderful to read you can read the article on your own yeah. we're not going to podcast there was an article and here's everything it said i i just you know i think it's rare that we hold something up and that you know hey check this out along with our podcast um you know we're going to discuss the the merits of the film and and the details but to use that to further enlighten i i think is important as as well done as it is that article does note that there's never been an MCU acting nomination and it Until notes Until this year. Yeah, I mean Book should, it. should Angela Bassett win for it? I mean, there's a variety of factors, including what are the other films it's up against, let alone, you know, what's Hollywood really saying about whether a comic book movie can win a thing and whatnot. You know, like I think there's a variety of there's a variety of kind of voting factors going on. Should she be nominated? I mean, my goodness. She is, in so many ways, the glue that holds this movie together, um, and particularly in the first act of it. And you know, it's just, it's just, you know, a, a stunning portrayal here. The ferocity of Miss Bassett's performance, particularly in that scene, cross-cut with this French special force raid where they get their behinds handed to them by the Dora Milaje that's hiding in the vault off, uh, you know, site of Wakanda with the vibranium. And as she terms it, the, the graciousness to give them their soldiers back, it's outstanding. And, you know, we know what you whisper. It's, it's a great, great scene. And again, you know, the greatness comes through the loss of Bozeman. You don't get that. You can't have that if we didn't suffer through the loss. And, you know, that for me has been the the silver lining of this experience. Um, you know, but it is an total standout sequence. And, you know, that will be the Oscar clip. I had wondered too in that confrontation scene at the United Nations, it's blocked in a way that made me wonder, is there a different edit where she's not blaming France and she is instead blaming the United States, which is to say that the soldiers are American, the soldiers are not French. I believe there was a version of this story. Again, everyone is upfront and saying like every other Marvel movie, like many productions in general, I mean, this is certainly the same for Pixar as well. What this movie was, was constantly changing throughout production. And that's not, that might sound like a slam. Uh, It's, it's, it's how, it's how, again, it's how Marvel movies get done. If you want to say, well, there's only so many Marvel movies that are a plus in my book. Usually they're a B plus and they're popcorn. Okay, fine. All the Pixar greats all to a, to a word. Uh, have been considered the worst Pixar movie ever at some point in their production, then they, you know, rework and rework and rework. So I did wonder, you know, there was one version of the story where the American threat was greater than it is in the final product. I just wondered, are we going to see, are we going to see that she did one take where she looked left 
to France, did one take where she looked right to the United States, was Richard Schiff shot on the right and shot on the left to give her the flexibility there. Um, it would be fascinating to know some of those details, let's say, with a little distance between you know, us and the, the, the premiere of the movie and the emotion surrounding it uh, to just know kind of what, what this was in the middle. It'll be interesting to see, will there be a Marvel assembled? How soon will we see it? And, you know, very much interested in the, the making of this film, you know, battling the difficulty that they had, but, you know, to, to move, the plot forward creating this idea that these other countries are trying to take advantage of the loss of the black Panther of their protector and this sought after substance that only they have with vibranium and that vibranium could be discovered elsewhere by this CIA team led by uh, Lake Bell's character Lake Bell, who's done the what if, was, uh, you know, uh, Black Widow um, for what if that Bozeman, you know, winning that posthumous Emmy for his guest run on what if I, I can't help feel but a little kinship through that. Pete, while I think Lake Bell is not the world's biggest star sort of thing, um, I think it's a get to have her in this small role here. Uh, I think that uh, she and uh, Robert John Burke playing doctors Graham and Smitty respectively. Um, you know, it's a small but important part of the story here, particularly, you know, amidst all the kind of emotional loss here uh, that we've, that, that we've recounted in the real world that we've recounted echoing through the story so far, there's not, you know, there's not the threat of the movie. There's not the threat of Namor uh, as of yet. So to have this CIA underground um, operation here and kind of the threat in the darkness, and you know, I'm, I, I, I don't like underwater scenes. I don't like the notion of big giant uh, Jaws creatures coming to get you down in the depths. So this is this particular part was among the most uncomfortable of MCU scenes for me. Um, but done super effectively, particularly as the one uh, diver is just gone. The next diver, wait, what is that? Now they're gone. Great restraint here um, shown, particularly at, a, at, I think, a point in the movie where kind of similar to Endgame, where it's like heavy, heavy stuff. Then you sit and go, whoa, they just went from really heavy stuff to like, a jokey joke scene and they did that transition in 45 seconds and it didn't feel weird similarly here the the burden being carried uh by the lake bell scenes is to transition from the outside world and all that has been kind of covered in that in in the, the death of chadwick boseman filtered through this story to now we can start to settle down to have a Who's the monster out there? The monster movie, the baddie, the, the the creatures of the deep. We can start to dip our toe in that and feel okay about it. Right. I particularly liked, I mean, the way they've changed Namor's backstory here and, you know, playing upon just some of the seafaring ideas here. Like there's a siren song that was, you know, luring 
much of that crew to their deaths. We later see it used in Wakanda. Uh, I thought that was effective. And then, all right, oh, they're getting away in the helicopter. And we all know they're not getting away. Okay. And then to not really be able to see who did it before we fully introduce uh, Tenoch Huerta's, uh, you know, Namor in Wakanda, you know, as um, Queen Ramunda and Princess Shuri are, you know, still trying to move through their grief. And, and now this inciting incident of, okay, this vibranium detector, the American scientist, whoever it is, who did it, and you're going to give us this scientist. And oh, by the way, you're not going to expose us to the surface world uh, because he has no amour for it. Yeah, the among other things, let's let's put Namor in context here. The character is created in 1939, meaning he's as old as Superman and Batman. Uh, obviously, not. Namor so great... Submariner. Yeah, Namor the Submariner. How did that work in 2022? Um, Ryan Coogler and his team made it work and compelling, and we're going to get more of him. Thank goodness. Yeah, and the notion that the the notion that the original I had to go digging for this because I was like, you know, if you're aware of comics, you kind of heard of Namor, but I don't know that he's, you know, any. I don't know. If there's like diehard you know, Namor tattoos out there the way there might be for, you know, other, other characters, but to sit and do a little digging and to say in 1939, okay, he's a guy who can swim. You know, he predates Aquaman. All he's a guy who can swim. It's this novel idea of a submariner who can, okay. All this stuff. His name originally is Roman spelled backwards. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty cool for 1939. And to now turn it into this, um, you know, natives plus Spanish influence in, in, uh, you know, in Central and South America and all of that. And for, for the name to now uh, refer to, uh, you know, the claim that he was uh, a child without, uh, without love. Um, and, you know, and, and to hear Tenacuerta pronounce it as Namor, it's just, I mean, it, 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 it's a stunning, to call it a retcon is is not even fair because, you know, retcons are things like, oh, here's why the red shirt guy who died in Star Trek was actually back. It was a twin. Like, it's kind of retcon is a is, is, is a neat tool used to explain mistakes. This is just starting with a name and building a new character around it and then finding out that there's this authenticity to what you want to do in terms of mm-hmm. native uh, native peoples and peoples of the americas and and spanish influence and conquistadors and all of that and to to arrive at that name it's just so lovely yeah whoever came up with that flourish needs a raise uh which takes us to los estados unidos matt and the what what was it the quaint village school the massachusetts institute of technology pete i'm glad you called it that i don't think it is stated as that yes there's a guy in an mit shirt this no, is they, another... make the, they make the joke one of them oh uh, you know we found him we found her at the equivalent of 
a Wakandan, you know, child school. I totally agree. That's a great joke. All I'm saying is, though it looked to me like they were filming at the real MIT, I don't think that they ever actually said this is MIT, which again, now going from the dude's got a, uh, the dude's got a sweatshirt on. Listen, I totally agree. Boston, I'm, Pete, uh, 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 consider this, Matt, and maybe it's a discussion for Riri Williams on your iron heart now in production for Disney plus, but, um, couple other characters in the uh marvel cinematic universe go to school there uh oh the, the whole spider-man crew right well, pardon yeah. me minus oh, peter look, parker look, look, at, look at this stinger for the end of season one there possibly um that could be that could be now i do think i i think there are some points when this movie moves outside of um if there can be such a thing as the natural path for a story i think there are some points where it's at the movie is asked to do the the m an mcu movie that is normally so hashtag it's all connected and setting up other things and referencing other things and so forth that is by and large not the province of this movie there are times where i think one can sense the hand of whatever, the hand of MCU or the hand of Feige, not that I'm trying to blame him, just the hand of reality saying, don't forget, we have to crisscross with this, that, the other. I'm not saying that the inclusion of Riri Williams is necessarily one of those moments, particularly early on. And I know Ryan Coogler um, has a role in the Ironheart, you know, has a production role in the Ironheart series. Um I do feel like there are elements of her presence, let's say in the second half of the story, where it it felt kind of like it must be hashtag it's all connected because we need that. And perhaps less organic than it's a scientist. What scientist? Hey, how about an exceptional young black woman who already exists in Marvel Comics? You know, that I, to me, that is a perfectly fine starting point there. I mean, Ironheart, has been along with Ms. Marvel, one of their most popular titles for years, uh, overdue that it would come. Um, I think the black Panther sequel as good a place as ever to launch the character into the MCU and, you know, getting that Disney plus show that's being made right now. Um, you know, great, turn here uh in in the introduction the humor the the great line there to, to be young black and gifted right i bet you don't say that in wakanda um you know funny smart and a counterpoint you know shuri doesn't get to be the shuri that we had in the first film she can't be anymore um so to give shuri her own Shuri, you know, was just another thing that threw that initial film over the top. Um, and with her thrust out of her comfort zone, stripped of so many things in this film, really smart to fill that void for her. I also mention it's another MCU and Marvel in general example of a scientist using science to you know, to, to get their powers to become heroic and so forth, which also is an interesting mirror of 
Shuri, uh, we've had at this point in the story kind of the notion of a little bit. I would have actually preferred a bit more, but we've had a little bit of a notion here of faith versus science for Shuri. Uh, and you're absolutely right that Riri Williams represents somebody else who firmly has a foot in uh, in the world of science here, um, leading, of course, to them making their way to her borrowed garage. Now they're surrounded um, by the popo, as the uh, as is noted. <laughs> it's just another um, great line. <laughs> it is, it is. And then uh, we also see Shuri kind of establishing some of her sense of uh, dominance, her sense of control here. Um, it's, it, it is conceived that this is going to be the three of them escape. Uh, that's Okoye's plan. Uh, instead, Shuri uses her AI and a couple of uh, Kamoyo beads in order to make it this kind of, you know, three-headed chase here as they, as they uh, race across Boston. And, uh, of course, ultimately that uh, ending up with uh, Riri's abduction. And Dominique Thorne, let's, let's give full credit here as Riri Williams, this introduction into this universe, again, you know, getting that springboard into the Disney plus show. Um, and, and just, you know, her, her character can have the, the breeziness that we had from the other characters in her interactions here before that they can't have now, uh, even with the, the popo line and everything like that, you know, she's, they still have to play the heavies and, and she can play these light keys here, you know, to, to learn that the, um, the accident out of, and it was the second unit, Matt, I didn't even know it was not the full on unit. And, and just so we're clear. So Ryan Coogler gets a call on the set that Letitia Wright has been in this accident and, you know, they, they shut down the shoot. Um, and, and then eventually redid the schedule so that they can do as much as possible uh, with uh, Letitia Wright recovering. Um, this having happened in August of last year, the, the biscuit rig that she was in, um, you know, uh, her falling off that sheared the bike off, clipped the median, um, and, you know, seriously, seriously injured. Yeah, and I think one of the... One of the unfortunate, um, one of the unfortunate byproducts of the the length of her uh, injury not being public is the the separate issue, the apparently completely separate issue um, of one can only infer based on the Variety article, you know, that she was uh, firmly unvaccinated, but that that the vaccination issue kind of overtook things to a point where it's like fine, you have your choice and you have your medical freedom and so forth, but this is a story that needs to get out there. This is a movie that needs to get made. This is a, an employment opportunity, not only for people at the top, but for all the people in the production and so forth, and kind of this notion that she was being a bit uh, a bit greedy. I did see that discussion, again, kind of prior to the knowledge of, of her injury, the extent of her injury kind of evolved into, 
well, good for her. You know, nobody, nobody, least of all her, but nobody, nobody asked for her to be number one on this film due to the loss of Chadwick Boseman. Um, but if she's in a position to be negotiating, this is your bite at the apple. This is your big moment and so forth. So kind of once the movie was firmly established as a, you know, at, with a release date, it was interesting how the discussion became, you know, good for her fighting for yourself. Cause who knows when the next time is that, you know, who, who knows what anyone's career in Hollywood has so on and so forth. But, um, I think it's, it's kind of, obviously no one wants her hurt, but it's better being able to look back and say, there was the vaccination discussion issue, whatever. Again, kind of heavily implied there was no way she was going to be vaccinated, but that also a large amount of her absence was not, hey, I'm just going to go home and, you know, put my feet up in London while you figure it out. It was really recuperating from a terrible injury. The quotes in the Variety piece by Kevin Feige, um, just to the point, you know, he's he's emotional as he's saying this and this man's not an actor. Okay. He is many things, but he is not a performer on the level of the people who regularly watch on screen. K E V I N aside for the she Hulk fans. Um, you know, but, but he, he was very clearly unnerved by this as was cooler. The irony for me. And like I said, that, you know, I, I have a little bit of a hard time separating, you know, Letitia Wright, the, the person, the performer, Shuri, the, the character, um, and that you have a character that science is so important for and is the way forward. And it is still so firmly in her character in this film, trying to use that to save her brother. Um, and, and the irony that, you know, vaccination is, was an issue for her in the making of this film. I mean, considering that they're filming in the headquarters primarily of uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, um, you know, and again, that the writers the reporters of the article uh, go as far as they do, not, I think, to a pestering sense, um, but attempt to seek clarity uh, on it and get, you know, the answers that they do. Uh, and I'll leave it up to you whether you want to uh, check out the article. But um, I appreciated that it was fully reported in that way, that it didn't shy away um, and and also doesn't belabor the point. Within the world of the story here, with uh, the with the absence now of Shuri and Riri after the, the Boston chase portion here, uh, General Okoye is demoted in in a scene that is itself uh, quite powerful. And I think it's one of those things where um, we know, you know, by virtue of of having witnessed the action and so forth, we know why Okoye is not responsible really for the loss of shuri and riri uh however when you have uh ramanda when you have angela bassett laying into her no no you wanted her to come along you signed off on it you are the general you lost her uh and okoye um you know being demoted being being uh removed from 
the uh, Dora Milaje there, it uh, you know, it's just yet another powerful moment in this film. Those character stakes, you know, uh, that she couldn't keep the princess safe, um, and how deeply that's felt in the light of the loss that they've already experienced that Ramunda has already experienced again, you know, these, these character turns that can only come as a result of the real world tragedy that they, that we by extension as the audience have suffered. And then to, as that's happening, you know, obviously know that Shuri and, and Riri are okay that Shuri is learning this Talokan backstory. So glad they didn't go with the the Pat Atlantia and Atlantis and all of that. And instead to to dig in the, the success of the first film, so uh, inspired by where they were drawing from in Africa and then all the Afrofuturism and how cool that was then and, and remains. And now to do it for this film with this secret advanced nation uh, of Talakan led by Namor. And in a weird way, like I think we all kind of, you know, depending on, or rather regardless of what your knowledge is of the comics, to sit and say, Okay, they explained just well enough in the first Black Panther movie how uh, Wakanda was not understood and how it was hidden and so on and so forth. You know, can you really do it again? Well, when you think of all the depths of the sea, you kind of quickly say, okay, I completely understand how, um, you know, off of the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, there could be a similar evolution here, particularly of underwater people who you would never come across because they're underwater and so forth. Um that too is an inspired uh, addition here. And just Pete, when you thought the story wasn't, uh, I don't want to say stuffed enough, because I'm not negative on here, but when you, when you thought that we had covered all the people here, uh, we get uh, Nakia's reintroduction in Haiti, um, which at the time, it's kind of like, oh, okay, maybe for scheduling reasons or for story reasons, it's uh, it's difficult to get Lupita Nyong'o kind of upfront in this or in the first hour of the movie or things of that sort. And I don't, in truth, I don't know what, uh, you, you know, scheduling or money or story reasons there may have been kind of prior to the story that we got, but of course why she is so far away and, and the time away from Wakanda and so forth, critical to the very end of the movie, but I would say hidden in plain sight here when it's just like, Hey, you remember that old friend from the last movie? Well, now we're going to bring her back into the story. I didn't know till this weekend, uh, Lupita Nuanga uh, was raised in Mexico city. Uh, and for her to be able to speak Spanish, she's spoken out about that in this film and what a gift that was, you know, Lupita, you could be in any part of the world and somebody could get, that first name, obviously her surname, African, um, you know, and, and you forget based on when she gets reintroduced to this story and this franchise, 
in the course of this film, you know, not just the plot point of, well, we need to have somebody go bind Shuri. We need, you know, the, the war dog here to do that. But, you know, somebody who's important to the queen, um, a surrogate sister, if you will, for Shuri. Um, and then you said it before hiding in plain sight. I mean, what makes the, the mid credit scene work so well is you kind of see it coming, but you also don't. And that's why I've, I've seen people, you know, argue, well, why couldn't you give Angela Bassett a scene with the grandchild? You lose the oomph of that scene if you do it. And, you know, smartly tuck Lupita Nyong'o's Nakia in here, have her go on the adventure, have her get back in the game to go save Shuri and Riri. All the while, now, on rewatch, she's leaving the prince, she's leaving the heir, her little boy, to go on this, and it means even more. So, I don't think that we should be surprised at all that uh, Martin Freeman's Everett Ross returns here. He, you know, an important supporting uh, player and character in the first film, um, keeping in mind that there was a version of this film where the United States was a greater threat. I suspect Ross would have played a similar role in terms of kind of the go-between, you know, is he more central intelligence agency guy? Is he more loyal to Wakanda? You know, I think I think I would suspect that his path is largely unchanged and i i kind of welcome his return as part of the extended extended black panther family i must confess pete the reveal that uh, julia louis dreyfus's uh, val character uh the reveal that she's in it in this movie and <laughs> you know is is deeply tied to the cia as its now, new now director the, now the director <laughs> yeah and and, and deeply tied to ross as his former wife um, I'm not saying that the Val character is unwelcome. I'm not saying, I mean, obviously she's, you're meant to dislike her to a certain degree, but she, she's entertaining and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, a legend. I don't know that the movie that we got delivered to us needed to advance the story ball here with Val. Again, I think that Ross's presence by and large, there's a home in it in that uh, Wakand Wakandans have come to MIT on American soil, and there's also tensions with America and other world powers and so forth. Um, and Ross is a perfectly fine complement to the story that we get. Val's presence, in my mind, is not so much a complement to the story versus, hey, meanwhile, in other stories, who wants a Thunderbolt? <laughs> and I don't, I mean, just as I had joked to you, like, I think that the reason that there wasn't an end credit scene to this movie is because it's not appropriate with this story. It's not appropriate yes. after we've had the mid credit scene to be like, and now that you've stuck around, Ant-Man, save me, shrink down. Like that's, it's not appropriate. Certainly that would be highly inappropriate. I would also kind of argue, hey, we have to continue to advance the Val stuff, especially since it got slowed down with COVID and she was going to be introduced here. And then there was first introduced there and we got to do Val stuff. Cause we got a Thunderbolts date in two years. Um, I will go so far as to say Pete again, nothing against the actress, nothing against the character. 
how she's used here uh, a bit dis distasteful to me i didn't find it distasteful and when you consider you know the there's one prominent white male in the movie and and it's martin freeman and he's sidelined uh for much of it um this is not a criticism it's not a a bug it's a feature and that you use the two of them this way to get the reveal i i hear your criticism i hear it um this big you know 30 film uh series tv show if you will um needs to continue to move things forward i i think is it the most reserved it's not um i don't think it's as garish as you're suggesting um we'll talk about it in our theory segment in a little bit okay but with the the rescue pulled off and of course uh nikia took a life of uh you know one of namor's people in doing this 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 means war and leads to this uh really well done and staged attack on wakanda it is it is a well staged well conceived well presented scene um I'm thinking of the joke in She-Hulk that they didn't have any more time for special effects because they were moving on to the next project. Cue Black Panther music. I'm thinking of the um, the criticism that Marvel movies get a lot of the time for special effects that are um, probably to some level of incomplete. I'm even thinking of the big Killmonger T'Challa fight at the end of um, Black Panther, which itself, you know, it doesn't look perfect because it's not done because the date came and it was time yes. to press. It is the least great thing about a great film. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if maybe Marvel's figuring out their workflow a little bit better or some, or maybe this just took precedence and other things. It was, you know, get out of the way because it's, <laughs> this movie is more important than your movie or your TV show. Other Marvel things. Sorry. Um, but this is a solid fight. This is a solid fight where I think, um, you know, we're kind of used to big, heavy things, smashing things and so forth. The use of the water bombs, probably it doesn't make sense on a physics level due to the lack of compressibility for water. But Pete, this is the MCU where there's like fish guys and space portals and magic and so forth. It, it was such a novel way to show it's this cool. damage. You can just say it's cool. It's, it's, it's incredibly cool. Um, the ability for, um, for Namor and his folks to be kind of, you know, appearing through the water, not quite transport portal style, but to kind of have that story effect there. Um, the slow introduction of the water making its way in. I, the, the, the whole thing. Whales as, yeah. as rides. Thank you for not making them sharks story. <laughs> I really want to tell you, I appreciate that. I'm not afraid of killer whales. I, I think I would be if I was in the sea. What killer whales do. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Pete, all I know is this. When I was about, you know, nine, I didn't watch the Killer Whale movie in terror in my room. I watched Jaws and it had it had an effect. Um, so hey, Killer Whales, I was like, hey, um, they're also called Orcas, and Michael Jackson wanted to help free one in that movie where he sang a song. Like they're not that bad. They're just helping out 
okay, fine, they're not villains, they're anti-heroes. But whatever it might be, like, I was okay with it. In all this spectacle of this attack, which we see coming a, a mile away, you know, even with the advanced defenses of Wakanda and everything like that, you, you also get, and it's not a bad thing that it's telecast, this sacrifice coming by Angela Bassett's Queen Ramunda and, and to save Riri. Um, and then again, as we've referenced with the Variety article, Angela Bassett could swim a little, um, but obviously free diving involved in this sequence, um, a- another sign of her further commitment and, you know, I firmly believe, I think Matt's with me as well, coming uh, honors for this role. Pete, in the moment when Riri and uh, Ramonda are pulled from the water there and it's, you know, who's going to live? And any any movie can wonder who's going to live and then potentially bring both back. But when it becomes clear that Riri is coming back, no surprise, Ironheart coming to Disney Plus late 2023, but that the story is committing to the death of Ramonda, I have to admit, watching it in real time, it was like we've already had so much loss in the story and in the world surrounding this story. I didn't necessarily agree with it um, as a story point in real time, but then realizing in in the most classic story sense now shuri it is shuri who's completely alone you know there had been the ramonda speech earlier on when shuri's status was unknown that you know ramonda has given everything um now shuri is truly alone and now you know now the child uh you know must grow into the adult and kind of all of that you know hero with a thousand faces type uh influence there and it kind of was like i'm I think part of me still wishes, hey, let's just have Ramonda, you know, live and then be like, I retire or I abdicate or whatever. But that doesn't have the, you know, that's because I want to keep Angela Bassett around in these movies. It's not what the story required to really take the character of Shirley, who, uh, of Shuri, who was kind of unintentionally or rather intentionally created in the first film as a really great supporting character yeah yeah kids stay at the kids table then without without the intention that was thrust into the mantle of black panther in this film and i think it 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 takes that kind of push to really take her into her next phase right you know the queen can only shoulder it for so long until you have to put it on shuri and having now lost her brother and her mother on top of her father to have lost everyone as Ramunda was, you know, so eloquently reminding the audience before. Um, And I think too, to echo the first film in moving ever so briefly to Jabari land. Okay. With Mbako here, um, you know, a, a place for them to be the better relations now that they've built up with that tribe, um, you know, helps to heal that. Winston Duke, um, very upfront 
in the last week or so and saying that one of the uh, one of the story roles that Mbaku plays is as you know kind of kind of the, the the top of a pressure cooker sometimes he's there to be serious sometimes he's there to be funny and i certainly would agree with will uh, winston duke's um perspective that um and i'm not trying to make his words sound like he was being more egotistical he wasn't sharing an ego here just the notion that his character was there to help help give what the story needed and if we had a little too much darkness he was going to come in and say some funny lines or give some you know be chomping on a carrot or things of that sort i think it's a really wise aspect of the production i mean a you get to say um the the jabari have continued to have close bonds at a distance with the rest of wakanda and that kind of all makes story sense also they need somewhere to go it's away from the water it's away from the lake boundary and so forth that'll make story sense um but then kind of to add to it story sense for the audience we need some kind of funny we need some kind of relief here and he's just a great way to do it in the midst of our heartbreak both as characters and the audience to bring that much needed humor in there and winston duke has has been great in this role you know to be introduced in the first film and then to uh do the bits in the infinity war films and and now here having appeared a couple times to take on this mentor role ultimately for shuri who at this point in the film you know needs to recreate that heart-shaped herb and you know really slingshot this film into that final act and again one of the many many duties that this movie has um obviously we've talked about some of the greatest most challenging most heartfelt uh portions of it but it also has a job to not undo story elements of the first film just because you say, well, this terrible thing happened, so we need to kind of hand wave away things like the absence of heart-shaped herbs, that that, that was all burned down and so forth. Um, and they could have. I mean, sure, he could have been... We could have had dialogue early on. Oh, this is going to take four years for the computer to figure it out. Okay, uh, it's four years later. Bing, it's done. Instead, there's kind of... There's no hope. There's no hope. Then she does work to recreate the heart-shaped herb. Um obviously it comes at the right time in terms of now she's ready to uh to to drink the fluid from it and to uh take the power that comes with it the power of black panther at the time it is needed pete i know for some people the return of michael b jordan uh albeit in the ancestral plane version of uh, killmonger i know for some people it was a poorly kept secret for me i entered this movie somehow with so little knowledge about it i think in part because the melancholy surrounding the circumstances of the film i wasn't necessarily you know searching out stuff and then okay i won't look or i'm gonna watch the trailer but not the new trailer well maybe the new trailer like i kind of was reserved in that regard and wanted the movie to be its own thing and i'll I'll say for myself as someone who tries to maintain being hashtag spoiler free uh it was a uh, particularly pete 
knowing who could not appear in the ancestral plane. Um, it was a delightful return, A, to get Michael B. Jordan back here, but then for his Killmonger character to be authentic and him saying, mm-hmm. maybe I did do it the right way. Maybe T'Challa did do it the wrong way. Maybe I am an anti-hero and not a villain. Maybe you need to use tougher, uh, you know, t- tougher uh, conclusions than your brother did. All of that, I think, aligns perfectly for the story. Yeah, it's it's the way to to bring him back. Um, I I wish they had been able to keep a better lid on it. So much of it is, you know, all right, look who's walking the red carpet at the premiere for the sequel that he's not in. Um, that's okay. It it's the way that it goes. I I think we all might have expected him to show up as as you indicated you're not going to bring you know t'challa there thank goodness matt that they didn't even you know at least publicly deliberate some idea of digital recreation or anything like that um which i i think we all would have been firmly against um the Carrie Fisher situation, they had snippets and they needed to resolve that. And I, I think for what they had and what they still had to do with the rise of Skywalker, that made the most sense on that particular film for that particular franchise. Um, okay. So have, uh, you know, Eric Killmonger, uh, you know, be game and you know do this scene and you know love the way it's staged in the throne room the water the flames really elemental um really well done you know uh but ultimately as i mentioned before we go down the path that the the comics have have trod and is the place that we needed to go ignoring these lame calls um most mostly by right wing people or uh, you know misogynists to recast uh, T'Challa. Yeah, it again is this the arc that would have been naturally developed for Black Panther two in, in a in a world where uh, Chadwick Boseman was not lost to us? No, I doubt it, but. Similarly, I don't think that, you know, to whatever degree um, there has been a concerted effort, and I would say a a largely uh, successful effort for phase four to be about expanding the MCU and expanding diversity and so forth. Um, Again, I think it's been a very successful effort there. I don't think that was the motivator for this to sit and say, let's add another female character. It's who do you have on the board and what makes sense? Um, and you know, you're now going to be able to go back and look at the first black Panther movie and see how she is less, less reverential of the crown of the title of black Panther of all of that, in part because she's being kept from it by tradition, etc. And the notion that she has all this potential as a scientist and as someone who can believe in the faith of, the heart-shaped herb and the ancestral plane and things of that sort and really marry uh, faith and science together. 
it's it's all there waiting for you and amidst the tragedy here it is put together yeah i would just say in, in a highly highly effective way and between killmonger and umbaku to lay out the two paths here to have shuri make her own choice which is at one point one of the suggested paths ultimately the other urged back uh you know to the light to good uh by her mom who she does also see and hear um great inclusion matt uh you know they seed it early this other suit that shuri's working on and ultimately with okoye uh demoted and then brought back into the fold here and i mean geez we haven't even talked about really anika at this point and and what a, a fun character to get in the mcu for the first time here uh but to make them uh the midnight angels yeah the the inclusion of uh michaela cole in this film as anika and the inclusion of kind of more super suits and maybe that's some of my um some of my mild displeasure with the uh the kind of riri williams in the iron heart suit we kind of all of a sudden get a bunch of suits and maybe i need to get off my high horse a little bit because you need a suit i i guess that so yeah. a suit hmm. um particularly since it, it is all through the lens of you know wakandan technology and wakandan science and all of that um but you know it's pete if i if i'm complaining for story reasons i'm not complaining again that we have or rather i should say again i am not complaining uh that uh we have all these fabulous women flying around in suits you know doing doing all these wonderful things as supporting characters and it's just it's it's a fun part of the story to be sure I was really invested in how this sea leopard battle sequence was going to go down. I, you know, obviously the contending nations and their, you know, tremendous technology. We'll talk a little bit in theories, Matt, you know, these two heavy hitters now, maybe more so than the United States and Russia and China combined. And nobody seems to know they're thrown down in the middle of the Atlantic and in uh, in Wakanda. But um, I think it's a solid sequence. They don't fall trap to, you know, what you've listed as a weakness of the MCU, the, the battle with a big light in the sky. They do it during the day. Um, it, it's fun and serious simultaneously. And then to to split the front here and to have the intimate battle, the duel, if you will, between Shuri and Namor while the armies throw down elsewhere. I think, you know, you, you had the scope, but at the same time you had the, you know, smaller moments. And I think, I mean, obviously the battle goes big to a certain degree, but I think the notion that it doesn't go super big and it doesn't become kind of robot army versus robot army because we need to have a certain level of violence where people get ripped apart, 
but they can't be people. So if they're robots that squirt gears and oil, then you get all the violence, but none of the R rate. Like they didn't have that discussion. It's people versus people. We kind of buy into the supporting and the supporting soldiers, the foot soldiers on both sides. The fact that it is mirrored, but not the same battle when we get uh, Namor and, uh, and Shuri fighting you know a fight which of course is bereft and without uh blood um uh full of violence but no blood uh that would really get you an r rating but you know shuri gets that spear through the midsection and i think that's enough to have you wonder for just long enough in the story like oh man is, has she bought it too or or, or right. whatever it might be it it is it is an emotion based fight as opposed to oftentimes it's like, and in the third act, gotta have a reason people come to the movies. Yeah. So we need dragon versus dragon and, you know, flyer versus flyer and foot soldier. Like, you know, look, I, I, I love Shang-Chi for being the fun, aspirational, silly movie that it is. That's one level of doing a big fight that's just CG on top of CG on top of CG. This is probably just as many pixels, but it's pixels that are about people. And there's no assurances either or both are getting out of that scene. You know, I was fully expecting at one point Namor to die. Um, we've seen a protagonist take a hit like Shuri did here. Tony Stark, you know, at the hands of Thanos, stabbed with his his own nanotechnology with the spear there on the end of his suit and then needing to seal it up. And even then we're like, is he going to get through this one? Um, so it, it works enough to thrill us, to scare us um, and to use it as the springboard for Sheree to see her mother, to hear her, you know, uh, tell her to show them who she is to choose mercy and to keep Talakan's secret um, that not everybody thinks uh, she should do or thinks that they'll honor. Certainly virtue, the best uh, choice here. And I think, you know, I think we would have gone for the rah, rah, you know, this black Panther has to be tough. Like, I, you know, there's, there's a reason why Killmonger is such a great villain in the first film, and it's because he really is an anti-hero, and we're, we're almost on board with his plan, and then you kind of think it through and say, well, there's a better way. Um, I like that Shuri has been put on a similar journey here for, for her own acceptance of the Black Panther mantle. Um, so with that kind of positively resolved, we have Ross, Pete, who you know is, is paying the price for his allegiance to Wakanda. There he is uh in in chains being taken away and uh, of course as soon as you see the tree over there we know that uh you know it won't be uh, long the people are saying lock him up uh and of course okoye comes in the suit uh he doesn't know who it is right away she shows her face and he's relieved uh and he's uh he's whisked away to freedom just another great line here a colonizer in chains now she has seen it all um irreverent funny um and you know another 
uh, misdirect moment after that with Baku. You know, I, I was glad at least we get a peek of the falls set again. I don't know the level to which it was actually recreated or not maybe a, hey, we had this other footage of this big, huge set we did for the first film. We'll just do a little bit of that and we'll do the, you know, the part where uh, Wiz Duke steps off this uh, ramp here into some water and said, uh, uh, sure ain't gonna make it because we need the big uh, emotional thing here that's gonna turn Pete into a quivering mound of jelly. Well, Pete, taking it to that end scene there, uh, the the morning on the beach, um, it's the right way to end it. We've had our big flourish finish of Army versus Army. We've had some humor. It's the right way to end it small, to end it kind of the way we, the way we all started this film. And I don't mean at the beginning of the two hours and forty five minutes. I mean. You know, that fateful day in August was actually when this, in a certain sense, when this film started for us. Um, I was struck by the the story rightness and the production bravery to intercut. Yes, Shuri's having her moment. There's an argument. Let's just keep it on Shuri. But to intercut in the footage of Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa at the end, I, I think it took real bravery, and I'll tell you why. He was such a singular presence on screen. It's not a slam against anyone in this film, least of all with Tisha Wright, that that they can't compare to just his, his the brilliant smile, the gravitas that he had through the through the screen and so forth. Um I give the I, I give the production a ton of credit to let us make those comparisons, feel those comparisons, and frankly, to let go of those comparisons because this is his, you know, final substantive appearance as Black Panther, if you will, and for us to just have that moment when I think it would have been an okay argument in the editing room to say, what if she just kind of feels the things that we're all thinking and we don't actually need to show it? to remind everybody that we're never going to have not just this actor has passed away, but nobody's ever going to approach this type of feeling, this type of uh, presence on screen in a Black Panther film. And for the movie to say, that's okay. We've had our moment. We're mourning our moment. And then, you know, then we move on always remembering, but still knowing that we have moved on. Another person taken from us too soon, deceased screenwriter and uh, novelist Blake Snyder, um, created a technique called Save the Cat. That's a 15-beat process of organizing a story. And this film should be held up for the way in which it does the first beat and the final beat, the opening image and the final image um it's the right move to not show chadwick boseman early to to leave that raw but at the same time unexposed and to tap into it at the end the the beauty with which this is shot you know the setting on the beach in haiti uh, the fire finally ready to burn 
the funeral garments from the two funerals that she's been to conceivably all three with her her father we never see that funeral um and you know the the close-up shots there the silence except for the wind and then to show those shots and it's interesting matt that their shots their sequences with t'challa and shuri the playfulness they had that that clearly sprang from a you know behind the scenes off the camera uh rapport and you know i think it's as close as we're gonna get to feeling what these people who knew chadwick boseman and the light that he brought them uh and by extension brought us through this role through his others in his all all too short career um and then really interesting way to go about the credits to to follow that motif through and, and then to hit you with a little bit of an uplift yeah i think the movie proper ends at the right point in terms of the end of this journey the sadness of it the credits come um then it's the it's such a fine use of the form to not say but wait there's another adventure like coming to theaters soon or coming to theaters in a couple years to just say we've taken our breath we've ended this movie but life goes on uh the you know again as you said pete kind of hidden in plain sight um the secret that the secret that you didn't necessarily see coming um that uh nakia has had a son and it's kind of put together oh wait had a son with t'challa because we've had this six-year absence and he's you know four or five or six years okay got it we're kind of putting it all together there um and the notion that uh toussaint is his haitian name and uh that he has a Wakanda name as well. It is T'Challa, named after his father. And, you know, a great way to get that uplift um, and, and to then, at that point, properly end the story of the movie. And to be told, you know, come the end of the credits that Black Panther will return as we all expect and hope. The Dossier a detailed look at our bad guys, Matt, overshadowing all of these proceedings here is the notion of death. As I said at the top, I think that what makes this movie different from all the rest in the MCU is you shouldn't feel great leaving the theater. You shouldn't necessarily feel that uplifted. And that's okay. Um, honestly, it took me kind of getting home and, you know, clicking on, click, clicking around on the internet to, to kind of have the words put in front of me. This is a movie that's about grief and be like, oh, wait, it is. This is not, you know, a, this is not the, the, the positivity that we might normally aspire for. And to have death as a through line, again, death as you know, an unfortunate starting point for this version of the movie 
the version that we got, the, the version in the post-Bozeman world. Um, I, I appreciate that they made the art that committed to death as this overshadowing force. It's going to be interesting to see what we learn from further behind the scenes material, the Marvel assembled or, you know, any other interviews that would come out here about the, the decisions. My guess is we probably won't hear much about, you know, whether or not he would, uh, die in the story, whether they would just have him head out and not address it. Ultimately, they make, I think, the emotional commitment that leads to better work because it's painful. Art is change um, and imprints upon the viewer um and you know this is a film twice i've i've had to process it after watching it and you know yeah uh was was not ready probably the only time i never wanted to go out with matt uh after a film to grab a hamburger or something like that just i i just needed to do this one of our uh listeners who's written in Later on, I, I love the saying, you know, I'm, I'm still sitting with this. And I think even after two viewings, I'm, I'm still kind of sitting with this at the end. We're, we're never going to be able to fully honor Chadwick Boseman and taken so soon. Um, my gosh, in his, in his prime and, you know, what, what remained in front of him, um, but this, this role, um, this franchise uh, left as a legacy, um, maybe in some small way, solace. You know, I've, I've seen the uh, advertisements for the um, interview with his, his widow. I'm just not in a place where I can watch that at, at this point. Um, and, and, you know, heard the stories about her and, you know, his family, obviously, you know, dealing with tremendous grief and how real this must make it again after having buried the man a little bit more than two years ago. Um, but the, the film doesn't, and I don't believe it should shy away, um, and I think a, a major way of doing that is, you know, we, we know that the the Namor thing was going to be a part of this film, um, you know, whether or not it was a direct reference all the way back in um, the second Infinity War film in, in Endgame with the... Uh, the reporting of the, uh, the earthquakes, you know, Oh, it, it could be, this could be that, um, you know, what would it have been like if Chadwick Boseman was there to confront it? We'll never know, but I think it, his loss gives Namor and Tenacorta here, Tenacorta Mejia, uh, you know, let's, let's say the man's full name as it's credited, 
um, a starring role in, in this credited as his introduction. I know it's it's been quite fashionable in, the, in these last couple of days to say, no, Namor is not the villain. He's, you know, he's an anti-hero and so forth. Uh, let me Let's propose burn it Pete. down together. <laughs> right. Like he's the I level of destruction that comes back. <laughs> can we understand the story and cultural influences, his real world culture, his you know, MCU world culture, you know, both, whatever. Can we understand those influences that got him to where he's at? Absolutely. Can we be sympathetic? Sure. Can we treat him as a, you know, fully rounded character versus, you know, a Thanos who wants to do a thing and, you know, I it, I guess it makes sense because of the 50% is all equal. So, okay. Yes, Namor is, is nuanced. I think we can call him a villain because he wants to burn the whole world. Um, and he's not, ultimately, he's not showing restraint of his uh, his gifts, his powers, his the power that he has in the world. He's not showing restraint, whereas that is to a core what, what Wakanda had been about. That's what we find out these years later. Wakanda has continued to show restraint um, within the world stage. Uh, and that ultimately is the heroic decision made by Shuri that she too shall show restraint. Um, so I think in that respect, I feel okay saying Namor is a fabulously interesting person. If you want to tell me five years from now, look how we've gotten return of Namor here and there and there. And now he's a hero a la Bucky. Sure. A hundred percent ton of charisma from the actor, from the character and so forth. You can make him a hero, but let's call him a villain here. You know, if you don't know Namor from the comics, go and and look at how goofily it's presented at times and to make it super compelling here to attach further cultural identity instead of just and they hang out with sea life underneath. And, oh, maybe there were some like Greek columns and that kind of thing. You know, it's it's fully fleshed out. Um, and then to sow the seeds at the end that, all right, he's on board with Shuri and, you know, he believes they're going to protect, uh, Talakan's secret, but does everybody, and is there some derision there? Um, I, I think that's cool and, and well done and sets the, the stage for further story. Have to add Val as a villainous presence on this Come list. Come on, she gets her ex-husband arrested. First she's hitting on him, and then she breaks out the cuffs from the kitchen junk drawer, like everybody has, right? Uh, all I could say is, Pete, I'm glad we checked in with her along the way to July 26, 2024, the Thunderbolts film. Hooray! Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize, Matt. This 30th MCU film, I've wondered and wondered whether it was going to happen, whether we get pushed back maybe to February of 2023, the fifth anniversary of the original, but they met this date. They've had the second biggest opening weekend of the year that may or may not stick. 
I think we're both a little spurious about avatars, given the blue people in this film. Um, yeah, and maybe this is a separate podcast, but I'll say it. I'll say it in one sentence. I don't know why I'm not racing to the theater for uh, Avatar Two, but I'm not in a rush. I'll go so far as to say, Pete, this film, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, will keep the title of you know second biggest of the year oh second biggest opening i know um uh uh, the top gun film top gun maverick is is part of the discussion as well uh within the country and internationally and so forth but i think it's i think this is gonna stick i also think that if there are some potential audience goers who said well, i don't want to see the movie where it's kind of sad or i don't want to see you know i i, I like this post-covid go to the movies for popcorn and top gun and magic uh benedict cumberpatch and all of that um i think word is going to get out that this is this is not a downer movie that this is a marvel movie while also exploring uh some some deep issues and some some difficult issues and so forth and that there's a catharsis in going to the movies together to see this, that, that sort of thing. Um, so I suspect it's going to, it's going to continue to do really well. We have Namor announce himself as a, a mutant. Uh, the second one in this MCU um, after Ms. Marvel earlier this year, the first one in a, in a film. Uh, a little bit more to that, just like the comics, Matt? Yeah, in the comics, and it wasn't like right away, but in the comics, he has been treated as the first mutant, and then they kind of was taken away in the 70s and 80s, and more recently, you know, it's Namor, the first mutant, the most powerful mutant, that kind of thing. I like, given that history, given that these characters... There, okay, there have since been characters in the marvel comics chronology that predate namor that are there have been mutant characters in terms of characters in our timeline hey you want to read a funny book this guy's got mutant with mutant powers namor is considered to be the first i like too that for our understanding currently of the mcu like that namor is now the chronologically oldest mutant um you know whether the mcu version of logan takes that past or not you know remains to be seen further i really really appreciate i know some of this does come from the comics as well but i appreciate that he's gotten this like he survived the the exposure to the to the um the the plant laced with uh, uh vibranium and all that like he survived because he was a mutant uh, and again, I know that's part of the comics too, where it's like, it's not just like all the powers came from one thing, but I think it's a really novel way to like, I appreciate that they, he didn't say mutant and they, uh, they did not go like, again, that's not this movie. We don't need to sit and go, look, I made a connection to the X-Men nineties and all that. Um, but again, the notion that he was successful because he was a mutant and now it's okay to just say it without drawing attention to it. It was was welcome as well. 
Beyond the overture here uh, to burn the world down together, Matt, did I pick up on a little bit of heat between Shuri and Namor? I think that there is the story potential for that. And I think also perhaps the greatest strength of Marvel Studios, the greatest strength that uh, that Kevin Feige has brought to things is the ability to not always have a set plan moving forward. I mean, irony of ironies as we talk about the origin of this film, but you know, focusing here on Shuri's future and Namor's future, and if there's some if there's some uh, place for it there, um, the notion that the MCU is kind of always ready for the characters to express their needs in a figurative sense, and always open for the needs of the story to kind of dictate changes to the path. Again, I think that's one of the real strengths. Um, and is it necessarily baked into this film that in black Panther three, it will end with the wedding and black Panther four will be baby black Panther, the spinoff for Disney plus like they don't necessarily plan that far ahead. Could the characters demand it or could the, the, you know, as they reflect on the on-screen chemistry between the actors and so forth, there, there's kind of that possibility there, both not baked in, but not excluded because there's a very limited vision of, you know, where this trilogy needs to go to hit certain marks by mid-decade or that sort of thing. Interesting that though uh, Daniel Kaluuya's uh, Wakabi does not appear in this film, uh, we get the reference imprisoned and was is married to Okoye. Yeah, it's a pity that the actor did not return. I believe it was his choice to not return. Um I think it's doubly a pity um given you know given the loss of Chadwick Boseman, but if that's Daniel Kaluuya's choice, so be it. Um I don't think that the movie is greatly lacking uh him uh it would have been made a bit better by him i don't know exactly where it would fit into the story but kind of it, it was what it was i think it needed to be addressed uh and, and they did address it and um perhaps perhaps the the door opens uh, at another time for his return to the mcu quite a few couples uh in this film that's not really about that um, but that uh, Everett Ross and uh, Val are exes. I don't think anybody saw coming. Uh, yeah, I certainly would agree. Y- you know, I think maybe because we didn't see it coming, maybe maybe the story was whispering, we, we don't need Val here, but I've, I've made that argument already. Um, I did appreciate, I mean, I appreciate most of all that, Marvel Studios in particular has just committed to a a diverse representation of our world in the MCU and kind of they're not looking for well what's the lowest common denominator that like countries won't bar us from showing like oh man I can't believe Anika touches uh AO's hand and uh, oh, oh well do we cut that do we cut around it like it's included here I don't I, I think it is a supporting character and a supporting supporting character. So it, I don't think 
the the potential of their Sonic connection. accurate, by the way. And, and all the better to be there. I think that unlike other examples in film and, you know, recent popular films in the last five years or whatever, it might be like, here's our, you know, the gay moment. Yay, give us a, middle, a medal because we did the gay moment. Like, this didn't feel forced. It also, I mean, I think from a, strictly from an editing sense, could it be removed? Okay, it could have been removed. But it just felt... It felt natural, Pete, as it should be. I think it was a way to show that, you know, there's representation, not just in terms of ethnicity, in terms of sexual identity, um, to do it in a natural way uh, rather than to shoehorn it. Um, certainly welcome it. Um Gotta ask, Matt, with Ross here, now that Okoye frees him at the end, you know, what's his trajectory? Um, will he, like Val, turn up in Thunderbolts? I think there's tons of places where the Ross character could fit in and be kind of useful and believable and, and all of that. Um you mentioned Thunderbolts. I had wondered perhaps in uh, Ironheart, which is, if you can believe it, Pete, which is concluding filming this month. Um, I know there's work on a Wakanda series um, that the there hasn't. Dormelage. Yeah, specifically uh, Dormelage. I don't think Ross is a good fit for that show. Now, if you want to say he's passing on through or makes a special appearance and so forth. Um, I, I might be okay with that. Um, but I, I think he's a, he's a small enough character with a big enough actor that he can be, I mean, he's not Sam Jackson, but the way we'd sit and go, we're going to have Nick Fury show up here and there and so forth. Uh, I, I think obviously Val has been MCU Val has been created for a purpose like that. I think similarly, you know, if you tell me, Ross shows up in a cameo scene in the Guardians holiday special. I wouldn't rule it out. Part of it <laughs> takes place on Earth. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he should be in every little last thing, but if you want to tell me, hey, he shows up in uh, Captain America, New World Order, or he shows up in you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I, I think there's a lot of places he could continue to show up in, in a couple scenes here and there. The film furthers this vibranium arms race now that we know it's not just in Wakanda and that the secret of where else it is is being at least at this point maintained vibranium is believed to be at the center of the Thunderbolts story at this point that'll be a driving factor so it makes sense from that standpoint to have Val here going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Will there be more set up prior to that film? I like that as a plot motor for Thunderbolts. And it could be a situation where that retroactively makes my, makes me reassess my thoughts on Val in this film. Well, but uh, I'm too, I mean, considering he was somebody we didn't really see coming to the Thunderbolts. Um, I think it works on a couple levels. 
Yeah, and I would also add, like, I remember at the time for for Age of Ultron, some of the Wakanda stuff seemed so like, hey, look, look, we're doing a Black Panther movie in a couple of years, but we're not there yet. But look, let's let's prime the pump. And at the time, it was like, ah, oh, it's so far away. Like this feels forced. Whereas you look back now, not that I go back and rewatch Age of Ultron very often, but you go back now and kind of go, hey, there's something going on with Wakanda. There's vibranium, um, and so forth. And then you sit and go. Oh yeah, and I could I could watch the continuation of that right now. Let me click on Black Panther. So there is that kind of forward and backward aspect in time, certainly. Mbaku potentially challenging for the throne as king, um, maybe separating the role of the monarch from Black Panther. Nobody says it needs to be the same. Very true, and I think, I mean, look, I think we all like Winston Dukes Mbaku. I think that we would welcome him having a place in in the next Black Panther story. Him having a greater place. It, it's not. It was not meant to be for this story and the necessities of the starting point uh, uh, of where this needed to go and so forth. I think it's a great tool. In and of itself, I think it's it's a tool that is honest to the character and also honest to the secret sauce of these variety of characters that we enjoy in a in a Black Panther movie or in the setting of Wakanda. Let me add to it, if it's not distasteful to say so, you know, if you want to talk beyond creative and say, you know, how are we making a product that really is going to engage with a bunch of people? Again, I I did not need to have a strong male lead uh, or even a strong male major supporting character in this film as a hero. Namor is strong, certainly. Um, If somebody wants to make the argument, hey, the Black Panther franchise will be improved by having M'Baku as the most powerful leader in Wakanda and then side by side is the really most powerful person, Shuri, the Black Panther. You know, again, that's not my need. If that if somebody feels that's going to make it a better product, and if that's going to, you know, if that's going to help continue to perpetuate Black Panther in the future, I'm all for that too. I guess that's that you know showbiz intersection of creative and business. Transmissions. Let's check the wire. Heat over to Twitter we go, and you know it just did not feel right to do a poll. For this movie so uh people were just asked to share their comments on it uh we go through those comments now spiderham lincoln tess lc 139 says it was a beautiful experience that laid the groundwork for many future mcu stories i'll leave spoilers out of this comment but suffice it to say there were several surprises i found quite satisfying great work marvel studios uh steve the burge says uh wakanda forever was a tribute and a breakthrough Script and acting stupendous. M'Baku, uh, Winston Duke's anti-hero in Black Panther 1, becomes father figure slash conscience for Shuri versus her ancest- ancestral plane mentor. The choice for silence several times was striking. And who are you callback was awesome. James the Sagacious, Big Killin on Twitter, says a masterpiece. It was a great send-off for our king. It handled so many complicated dynamics well. The tone was perfect. I was entertained thrilled elated sad and hopeful this movie is a funeral and a celebration while fitting into the mcu 
One of my fondest Fantastic Geek memories was the Black Panther podcast. Hearing our heroes openly discuss the social relevance of the first film was something I'll never forget. So, no pressure, guys. Pete, hopefully we have, hopefully we have, we've done all right in this conversation here. Listen, one, be called a hero, and and two, to point out our work. Uh, you're, you're too kind, James. We are from Noel Gardner at Noel Camille, who says, I'm still sitting with this movie, an amazingly well-done tribute to both the character and Chadwick. Every actor brought their A-game. Angela Bassett shouldn't have to compete with other nominees, just give her the Oscar. <laughs> Ryan Coogler and her crew did a phenomenal job bringing Wakanda to life for the first film and duplicated that job with Talo Khan in Wakanda Forever. The introductions of Namor and Riri were perfect. As a black girl from the south side of Chicago, Riri is representing. We will talk later about Val and Ross. Mind-blown emoji. Best post-credits ever. Uh, Bob Keeley had replied to that and said, I had no time to see it yet and uh, likely won't until next Friday, but I will say Love and Thunder made me less interested in seeing the next Marvel movie. I know it is completely different, but I just didn't care enough about that film. Haven't even watched it in Disney Plus yet. Noel replied and said, Hi, Bob. I would say that this is Apple's to uh, orangutans. While all of Phase 4 has dealt with grief, Wakanda Forever deals with it in a totally different way. Wakanda Forever is a celebration and... uh, and renewal and bob said i'm glad uh to hear that wakanda forever is so good i know it's a whole different thing maybe it's a function of the busy schedule i'm in thanks for the encouragement so pete loving that we're getting i don't know cross cross listener chatter there as, mm-hmm. as we uh we all encourage each other on here it's what it's all about andre yeager at dr polo 1983 says truly emotional film on all levels i cried laughed and cheered Awesome writing and acting across the board. Namor is one of my favorite soups from the comics, and I love how Coogler changed his origin. This movie is significant to two cultures. Forgot to mention Riri is going to be a star. Can't wait for Ironheart. Uh, penultimately here, we, uh, we hear from David Siller, at Siller David Poet. I have to admit my enthusiasm in the run-up to see Wakanda Forever was pretty subdued. Not because I didn't think it wouldn't be good, or for any of the trolly reasons people harped on for the last couple of years. It was going to be complicated to balance so much in a single film. Heavy, hopeful, and reverent, with new characters, new directions, and new stakes within and without. I wanted to watch with open eyes, open heart, open mind, and the payoff was amazing. Ryan Coogler not only did it again, he's upped the ante and expanded possibilities. From the frenetic, emotional first scene, through the intro of Namur, to intro of Riri, uh, through the surprises and twists and turns, to the magnificent conclusion, this film had it all. It deserves many Oscar nods, nay wins, and marks an incredible moment in what the MCU is doing and where it's going. It's another masterclass for the likes of Scorsese et al. We thought the first Black Panther was special, but this is somehow so much more. A beautiful film through and through, and a magnificent tribute to a human being gone too soon. Lastly, Pete, I think uh, short but bittersweet here uh, at Sandra Resednes summarizes, uh, I think, where we all were at many points throughout the movie. I cried a lot, uh, which I think is is accurate indeed. Yeah. And, you know, I know Ryan Coogler. I mean, we haven't mentioned it in this podcast. I'm not sure people are aware. He almost left Hollywood over this. Um that it was so personal. And, you know, there have been discussions 
that he might do Secret Wars or, you know, another big, um, you know, Avengers level film moving forward. I think, you know, we have seen his or at least part of his grieving process through this film and, you know, just let the man move through it and decide, you know, what his best next move is going to be. Um, I think it, we'd all be better uh, for it if it's in this artistic realm, but, you know, just congratulate him for getting this done. Um, and, you know, we talked about the doubt and uh, encourage him for whatever comes next. Excellently said there, Pete, uh, this movie, of course, with Ryan Coogler at the at the helm and the script at the camera and so forth, and uh, very much a product of his vision. As we wrap up, of course, want to give thanks to uh, all our patrons on patreon.com slash fantastic geek for the continued journey with us, particularly this a uh, this uh, quite reflective journey that we've been on for the last two hours. And to hear that so many of our past and present um, contributors on Patreon here chiming in on this discussion, you know, both supporting us in terms of the thoughts and then in terms of financially bringing you what we do. Pete, let's certainly keep the MCU conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? For as long as it lasts, <laughs> you can find me <laughs> on Twitter for now at <laughs> uh, Peter P I E T E R J K L A R K E T E L A A R twelve thousand six hundred forty seven followers. Can't be wrong, I guess. And while I'm on Twitter, is looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Look, there's a bunch of ways just in case. A week from now, if there is no Twitter, uh, we are Fantastic Geek on Gmail, fantasticgeek.com, and uh, starting to use in our Instagram a little bit more as well. Uh, but wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Certainly looking ahead to our podcasting on the Marvel movie feed. Uh, of course, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special will be covered uh, on the Marvel movie feed in the next couple of weeks. Uh, then beyond that, Pete, short of breaking news and so forth, the next time we'll be discussing a Marvel movie will be uh, February for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Of course, the adventures continuing on the pop culture podcast feed where we have... Uh, the last two episodes of Andor coming in the next couple of weeks, an Andor wrap. And then, Pete, short of other uh, schedule announcements, we have, uh, we, have, we, we have a saga ahead of us to discuss in December and early January ahead of uh, Secret Invasion and Picard starting to rev up in the midwinter. And lots of discussions behind the scenes on how to keep giving you content. And again, that's where those patreon patrons big help for us uh so yeah uh fantastic geek here uh continuing to bring you the content um uh, not up at 2019 levels just yet but uh closing in on it well pete i'm so glad we've been able to get together you and me and our listeners to discuss and reflect on this important film 
So certainly looking forward to, uh, to returning to this film in the future, whether it's in the theaters, on Disney Plus, and so forth. Certainly a unique journey. With that, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. T'Challa is dead, but that doesn't mean he's gone. Thank you.